Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets for live events. And with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek, the app. It's on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere with just a few taps. I can instantly find seats. I actually use SeatGeek to buy tickets to see the Killers in February. You know, and you guys can go back and listen. We've had the Killers on the watch. So I'm really excited to go see them. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. To get your $20 rebate off of tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code WATCH, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WATCH today. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode of The Watch, how about a quick break to tell you about The Ringer's YouTube channel? We stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet, Slow News Day, NBA Desktop, No BS, Table Reads, Director's Commentary, and Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, as well as our video podcasts and mini-movies like Take Hunter, Ringer 360, and Claytheism. Coming in 2018, a weekly video mailbag from Bill Simmons, Mallory Out of a Hat, and a slew of other new digital shows. Don't miss anything. Just go to theringer.com slash videos. Or even better, please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash theringer. Hey guys, Andy Greenwald here. Before we get into today's show, just want to give you a heads up. Today, Chris and I are talking about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi with full spoilers. We love it when you listen to our show, but if you have not yet watched the movie or you care a lot about spoilers, this is not the podcast you're looking for. One other note, Chris and I saw the movie last Monday, humble brag, and we recorded this podcast on Friday a little bit ahead of some of the interesting fan backlash that's emerged over the weekend, so we don't get too much into that, but we look forward to talking about that as well as the larger issue of fandom and what these franchises owe that fandom when we get back from the holidays. So without further ado, let's get into it. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he lost all his money at Canto Bright. It's Andy Greenwald! Is that the name of the casino? I think so. You I think, think it's so. like the, the land, man. We're talking about The Last Jedi today. I'm, this is it. Before we jump to light speed, Andy, uh, let me just tell you. That you're listening to The Watch today, so this is, we're recording this on Friday, mm-hmm. but it'll be up on Monday. You can also listen to Sean Fennessy's interview with Star Wars The Last Jedi writer and director Ryan Johnson on The Big Picture. That will also be up on Monday. Very cool. And then later in the week, the Binge Mode Squad comes through with yet another Star Wars deep dive. They have won the previous week, Heroes and Villains in the Star Wars universe, and then they'll be going deep into The Last Jedi uh, on Wednesday or Thursday morning or whenever it goes up, but is, th- later this week. Is Boss Nass considered a hero or a villain? He's, for those of you who don't remember, he's the Gungan King from Phantom Menace. Uh, I gotta say, man, haven't really dipped into the prequels recently. <laughs> no um, need, let's get into let's it. Let's do it. Initial takeaways from Last Shadow. You and I saw it Monday. We did. Um, we were very, very excited afterwards, but let me just get and by your- the way, no tweets from us afterwards. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Pretty funny scene. Like, we weren't allowed to talk until we got to our cars. Then we called it. each other from our individual cars and said, Yo! That was pretty great! Yeah. Okay, so I think you and I are both very pro. Yes! Yeah. People think I'm coming for this movie's throat. No! Who would say such a thing? I think based on my last six to seven years of critical work, people yeah, come <laughs> assume on. You that. love You love stuff. I love You love stuff. stuff. So, written and directed by Ryan Johnson flashes across the screen, and you think what? Here's what I think. I think that I have... For a long time, thought that um, 
writing and directing Oscar nominations for big tent franchise movies was ridiculous and a waste of the space and the platform. Not this time. Christopher Nolan in a blazer, I, not in GIF. <laughs> for, for real, though, like I, th- those things don't matter in the scheme of things. But what I, what I mean by that is what Ryan Johnson accomplished here with this film, I think, is astounding. Uh-huh. Not just because I enjoyed it. I have found that as the years have gone on, I'm appreciating culture and more and more from a structure, as a, on a structural level as much as on a content level. And what he did in terms of um, pacing, what he did in terms of character work, finding emotional storylines for characters that, quite frankly, didn't really have developed ones coming out of that first film. Yeah. What he did in terms of bringing central concepts of this 40-year-old franchise um, into the present day, a new idea about the Force, a new idea about what it means to be a Jedi, a new idea about what these movies might even be about Mm -hmm. is incredible. To do all of that and have it be funny, to do that and have it um, fly the way that it did, and to do that and, frankly, tick all of the corporate boxes that I think he needed to tick to make all of the corporate masters happy because he was not making an art film here. He was making something that is the number one driver of the bottom line for what is already today on Friday probably the biggest company and entertainment conglomerate in the world, and who knows who who, who they will have bought by Monday. (laughs) I know, seriously. So I, I was just... Truly, truly, truly impressed. I thought that The Last Jedi did a lot of the work that The Force Awakens probably was supposed to do. Yes. So the theme of this movie, arguably, I think inarguably, is kill the past. Mm -hmm. It's about finally getting out from under the enormous weight of the legacy of the first three films. And to some extent, the, the story stuff that gets done in the prequels. But... It was a very self-conscious movie. It was very aware of the fact that The Force Awakens had done a lot to make older fans feel warm and fuzzy. Feel seen. And younger fans feel engaged because you gave these younger fans these new archetypes to fall in love with or to hate or to just get excited about. Mm -hmm. And yet they still had Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and Chewbacca and Mark Hamill briefly in The Force Mm -hmm. Awakens. And I think what this movie had to do, which The Force Awakens probably was more responsible for than we we knew was look if you're going to make 20 more years of this of these things or however many more of you're going to th- you're going to do you've got to come up with some new mythology and you've got to come up with some new characters and you've got to come up with some compelling new storylines that can stand on their own that can stand on their own and i thought that this movie was about that that's what this movie was about that's what all of the kylo and ray stuff is about is that brief moment in this film where they're like maybe we should just forget all this empire re- yes. rebellion bullshit and move forward and you know and it's very it's very compelling how he doesn't actually sort out i mean he says we could rule the galaxy but this idea that star wars has always been this binary from light and dark good and evil Republican empire Mm -hmm. and that there's actually this huge gray area. And that's really, that's what it took from empire. Mm -hmm. You know, that this is the second film in this trilogy. If this is in fact a trilogy, if they don't do five or six more, or frankly, as I said to you near the, this, as this movie finally neared its, you know, two and two hour, two and a half hour conclusion, do they even need to make a third movie at this point? Yeah. And I thought that that was, I thought it was just, uh, the answer is yes, by the way. Yeah. For any flaws that this movie had, and mm-hmm. I think we can get into those a sure. little bit later, the feeling of rebirth and the feeling of like, we have now outgrown this skin that has been basically on this, on, on us for 70, since 77, and we're going to move forward. Speaking of people who have had skin on them since 77, <laughs> it's Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan on The Watch. Um, I, 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 I want to flip what you started with and say, uh, we, that, those were our feelings at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I think that leads very nicely into my feelings at the beginning of the movie, which, frankly, were a little bit um, unsettled. Mm-hmm. The movie opens with some lulls. And some lulls that are a well, little bit the movie opens jarring. with possibly, maybe not the most iconic opening, but among the best set pieces in the Star Wars canon. You mean just in terms of the action? The, bom- the bombing run. Yes. But before that, there's the whole Poe Dameron, I'm, I'm holding for General Hux. Yeah. And Dunal Gleason yeah. just like, just, just going for it. Um, yeah. As the sputtering. hammed Gleason, sp- yeah. A sputtering, sputtering villain. And there was something to that where I, I wanted to turn to you, and again, I did not want to disrupt the other um, media members who were in attendance, and certainly did not want to disrupt future Ryan Johnson interviewer Sean Fennessy, who was wrapped. Um, 
I thought they fired Lord and Miller is what I was going to say. <laughs> because this movie definitely had some beats of self-aware, very 21st century yeah. moments. And that, in addition to some of the camera work early on, made me feel a little unsettled because, quite frankly, I was like, this is not. Is this Star Wars? Yeah. I was going to say, this ten, isn't your dad's Star Wars, exactly. but we are a dad. You, you, know, you are a dad. I'm, I'm a yeah. Dad. Ten, ten minutes into it. I realized how exciting that possibility mm-hmm. was. It did not stray too far into the humor. It found a very nice balance. But it, more than anything, it felt like someone was in control here who knows how to operate the machinery. Yeah. Uh, shouts to purple-haired Laura Dern. Someone who knows where to pilot the thing to cause to, and, and be the most effective. You kind of touched on this, but it's this idea that you... And we've been talking about this all year through the ups and downs of Trevorrow. <laughs> through the the anticipation we have for Kugler coming next year with Black Panther, but mm-hmm. this, you know, this marriage between individual artists and mega corporations, and I, there's nothing in the Ryan Johnson catalog that suggests anything approaching uh, the throne room sword battle or Laura Dern's jump into hyperspace, Kamikaze jump into I- hyperspace, and I, there there are things that are like Looper's good. There are some cool scenes in it. There are some cool scenes in yes. some of his Breaking Bad moves. But to imagine three, four-dimensional space operatics like that is is pretty out there. That's where I think you do have to give credit to the institutional knowledge that ILM or Lucasfilm yes. have of like, hey, man, do you have a vision for this? Because this is the greatest toolbox and this you is could what possibly we do. imagine. Yeah, yeah, and I think that um, – I, I hear your point, but I also think that – Maybe this is um, self-serving because of what my general interests, where my general, my interests generally lie. But uh, the thing in Ryan Johnson's CV that stands out to me that suggests why maybe he was able to do something that I guess on paper you can't know if someone can do. I mean, we, 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 people beat up on Kathy Kennedy who's running Lucasfilm for, you know, maybe making missteps in hiring and then firing people and how some of these movies have gone, mm-hmm. certainly not after they've been released. So far, she's she's batting a thousand, I would say, certainly in terms of return. Yeah. Um, but this is incredibly hard to find someone who not only has an artistic vision, but can steer the ship and please everyone from fanboys to shareholders. The thing in Ryan Johnson's CV that is worth noting is his TV work. Hugely hard to come into an episodic TV show as a director and make your mark. Sure. You are basically coloring inside someone else's lines. Ryan Johnson on Breaking Bad did the impossible in miniature. His episodes of Breaking Bad are absolutely, unquestionably the work of Ryan Johnson, Mm -hmm. an exceptional filmmaker. But they're also Breaking Bad episodes. And I wouldn't be surprised... Alan Taylor didn't do such a hot job with Thor 2, but then again, it was Thor 2. I wouldn't be surprised to see more directors whose names we know from TV being hired for these jobs. Oh, no doubt. Russo Brothers, obviously, happening already, but... McLaren, yeah, yeah. But but Ryan Johnson particularly has been able to do that while maintaining a very specific artistic sensibility. Was The Last Jedi a movie of red herrings? So, here are a few. Oh, yeah. Turns out Ray's parents don't matter. Yes. Turns out Luke is not the last Jedi and didn't break bad. I don't know necessarily that that was a red herring set up by The Force Awakens as much as sort of the promotional materials for this one about this is not going to go the way you think and the Jedi must end and all the stuff that he didn't. We can argue about whether he did break bad at any point during this movie. And it turns out Snoke doesn't matter and that he will not be the big bad of this trilogy. I have an an alternate take on that. Okay. Because I loved every single one of those decisions you mentioned. Loved them. The first appearance of Snoke, room is nice, no doubt, mm-hmm. but I, I am not here for Snoke. Okay. Snoke is a very, very silly, pointless creation. Snoke has, not, has no history, has no point of view, is just evil. Right. Uh, I loved what happened to him and the way he was dispatched. So and, 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 I, and what I, what I wanted to say— slash Star Wars theories would disagree with that. <laughs> well, we can come back to that, too. Yeah. But what, what I'm saying is, and maybe this is—let um, me— let me, let me walk back my, my pro-TV argument of a minute ago and say, in this case, one writer behind the scenes matters hugely. Mm-hmm. Because movies are, are increasingly written like television. They are room-written. There are bake-offs between versions of scripts to reach the final script. Um, this movie was not, famously, I think we can say now, because it's in this day and age for there to be one writer and no, no deliberations or background stuff of the WGA fighting over credit is pretty rare, especially in a movie of this size and scale. Um, you can get too clever in a hurry when you're trying to impress other people or when you're trying to win uh, an argument or a bake-off of ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think the purest, best idea about Ray, a character who is incredibly muddled 
in the first movie, despite having a very winning performance from Daisy Ridley, a performance that continues in this movie as well. The best choice is that she she was nobody special mm-hmm. who became someone special. Unless, unless that turns out not to be the case. Sure, but I'm yeah. saying for as long as we're living in the world of this movie, which is as you know as up to date as we are in this universe, I think that was a great choice. I think it was. I think it had some poetry to it. I think it worked well with the Kylo Ren scenes and where the characters were going. Similarly, the first movie left us with this heavy weight. She ha- reaches out with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. What would have been satisfying? Him tossing it was an incredibly wonderful. Um, Air out of the balloon moment. Yeah, and it also was an immediately defining character moment because mm-hmm. we really haven't seen Luke since Jedi. You know, we don't know who this guy is. And we is. don't know who this guy is. The actor himself, Mark Hamill, has aged. And, you know, I don't think that we had any concept. I mean, they put Han Solo in Force Awakens and he's just Han Solo that was in the last Jedi, the, the Return of the Jedi. Yes. But we put. We get back, and the idea that you immediately throw the lightsaber over your shoulder in this sort of really so flippant, cavalier way immediately, A, separates you from The Force Awakens. Because the end of The Force Awakens has an almost iconic shot of, here, take this, show me what to do with it. Yes, and a, he's just a, like, a passing I don't of the do baton. Yeah. Uh, this is all that's ever mattered right. in this world. Also, Ryan John, there are a couple things about Star Wars that are hard to appreciate, I think, when you're sort of lost in your nostalgia for it and, and the excitement about it. But they're kind of key, and I think Ryan Johnson never let them out of his mind. One of them is the Jedi get more and more boring as they become better at being Jedi. Sure. Luke was, you know, people complained about him being sort of whiny or whatever in the first movie or first two movies. But as soon as he got good at being a Jedi, he became incredibly self-serious. And thank God Han was there, mm-hmm. right? Um th- I love the fact that we yada, yada, yada at the time when he was a Jedi Master, and now he's just on the other end of his life, and he's a crank. Yeah. Terrific. Um, the other one that I was going to mention, and maybe you had this elsewhere in your notes, but um, Ryan Johnson gets that Star Wars is on some level about creatures. And I think the first trilogy really burned us on that, because all George Lucas seemed to care about was playing with CGI and then once it was time to give these CGI creatures personalities, they were all hideous racial stereotypes. This movie with the Porgs, who I was, walked in ready to hate, didn't hate them, to those ice foxes, mm-hmm. to the funny guy putting the coins in BB-8 in the casino, to those wild, like, tauntaun luck dragon horses, sure. there was a sense of wonder to it that I think made me come around on their value and the importance of this in the, in this. There, yeah. There, there was a sense of... And I think that that was a nice corrective, not a corrective, but it was a nice adjustment from Rogue One, which was sort of imagining the Star Wars universe as a war zone, which is essentially what it is anyway. And that is actually mm-hmm. something, when I ask about the red herrings, is what I wanted to sort of talk about. Because I think that this movie, you know, we talk about this idea that Ryan Johnson came in and he was almost like, here, here's your room, here's your toolbox, do whatever you want within the con- the confines. But there is still something happening outside of the room. There's still everything that's happened up until that point and the things that they want to do going forward. And I actually do think that there are a couple of moments of bullshit in this movie. Sure. And I think that the red herrings that he throws in there, the way that he s- subtly and not so subtly undoes stuff that happens in The Force Awakens, actually helps distract from, are there like 32 people in the Rebellion left? Apparently, yes. Look, but you know, that, like, that stuff like that, how, uh, like, they don't do a whole lot of. It's just the First Order is kicking ass and the rebellion is almost wiped out and they can track you through hyperspace and all this stuff. And and all these red herrings about like, oh, it turns out Ray's parents don't matter. And you're like, oh, you don't think about whether or not Leia can fly. I, I want to come back to that, that first point you made. The, if The Force Awakens was to some degree a repudiation of George Lucas and a celebration of mm-hmm. him, but a repudiation of late period George Lucas in the prequels and basically saying, look, we're, we got this now. It's mm-hmm. going to be fine. This movie, to a degree that truly shocked me, was felt like a repudiation of J.J. Abrams and, and his team and the work they did in the first movie. Now, I know that's hyperbolic. J.J. Abrams produced this movie. He's obviously returning to make the third movie mm-hmm. in this trilogy. Um, I got some dings on Twitter because it's Twitter, but also because I was pretty flippant in my dismissal of Force Awakens in our preview pod. And one of the reasons for that is because I only saw it once in the theater, and I've not really cared about seeing it again. And I did not give the movie credit for the casting, mm-hmm. which is just, thank God, you know, these these actors are wonderful, and it was thrilling to see them again. But he, the movie left a mess for people to untangle. I didn't understand the stakes of who's winning, who's not. Why did the Republic fall again? Why? Why? Because the first movie was basically saying, "Look, it's just all. It's the same thing. We're back to where we were. There mm-hmm. are rebels, and there's the there's the Empire. 
don't worry about it. And Let's this meet entire these conflict is essentially a, a series of Mission Impossibles for the Rebels right. and Great Escapes for the Re- but Rebels. But this one said, without telling us anything about what happened, and frankly, I don't even know the continuity from the first movie in relation to this, said, this, this is all that's left. Yeah. These guys are winning. These Rebels are losing. That's it. And 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 in so many other ways, too. It, it was like, you, you think Snoke's the big bad? Nah. Poor um, Gwendolyn Christie. Like, you think... General Phasma is a character. They're like, well, she wasn't really a character, so right. sorry. She's Boba. There's no room right. for her. Boba Fett shows up in like three scenes in those movies. Like he's actually not this iconic, huge part of the Star Wars trilogy. Side point, by yeah. the way, um, I really admired his, I would say, cavalier treatment of nostalgia because the old characters in this movie, Hamill aside, Hamill is a key character in this movie and, and, and Leia has her moments and we should talk about them. Um, but everybody else, Chewbacca, C-3PO, they're just there. R2-D2, they're there. They oh, are yeah. so in the background. Yeah. And I kind of appreciated the fact that this movie didn't belabor the fact that Luke wasn't... Luke didn't get super emotional when he saw C-3PO. It had been 40 years and he was a robot. You right. know, I liked that about the movie. The only thing that I will say, this movie did Akbar dirty, man. Well, let's get was to it, that. Was there a calamari special somewhere in the galaxy? <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about some of the performances in the movie, some of our favorite moments, some of the flaws, and some of the questions we have going forward. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Zelle. Zelle is the new way to send money to your friends and family from your banking app. Cash is easy to lose and checks take a while to clear. But with Zelle, once you're enrolled, the money moves right between bank accounts and typically arrives in minutes. You pay your share for dad's gift, you request half the cost of the Christmas tree you bought with your roommate, or you pay that personal trainer you hired after Thanksgiving when you had too much stuffing, all thanks to Zelle. It's easy to use and works with almost anyone with a bank account in the United States. And don't worry, Zelle is safe and backed by major banks, which means you can send money confidently. Just go to ZellePay.com to learn more. That's Z-E-L-L-E-P-A-Y.com. Zelle, this is how money moves. Support for today's show also comes from Shudder. Brought to you by AMC Networks, Shudder is not only a premium streaming video service, but an experience unlike any other. Created for fans of all degrees of thriller, suspense, and horror, Shudder is home to the largest and fastest-growing human-curated selection of high-quality, spine-tingling, and provocative films, TV series, and originals. And there's always something new and unexpected for Shudder members to explore. New this week on Shudder is Better Watch Out. On a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. Now streaming exclusively on Shudder. Shudder is available for $4.99 a month or $49.99 with an annual membership, but our listeners can get a free month by entering promo code THEWATCH at checkout. Go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Go there today and find the best collection of thrillers, suspense, and horror available to stream anywhere. Okay, now let's get back to my discussion with Chris about Star Wars. Okay, we're back. Andy, I want to talk about some of these characters, some of these performances, and I guess the best way to ask it, although it's it's loaded, is who won the movie? Uh, You know, Driver... Daisy Ridley. Now we could talk about it both who is the most compelling character and who are the most compelling performances, but off the top of your head, what do you think when I ask you that? It's a fun question because I have a lot of potential answers Mm -hmm. for you. Um, The movie shares the ball really well. And when you get. Maybe too well. Maybe too well. But when you step away from it and you think about how. You know, in our preview, you talked about how the thing about Empire Strikes Back is that the characters are separated from much of it. This movie certainly celebrated that and continued that tradition. It had the pace, though, that sort of it switched at exactly the right moments. And again, that's an underrated aspect of a script written by one person. Well, also, the tempo the tempo is different from Force Awakens, and it's different from any other Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. And the visual language of it, it's much more visually comedic than any of those movies are. Like, there's quips, and there's, uh, there's great, like, you know, kind of 1940s, 50s. Yeah rat-a-tat dialogue in Empire that Lee Brackett wrote in her first mm-hmm. the draft of the screenplay and the cast and I think came and did more Empire mm-hmm. stuff but yeah it's it's got a different vibe altogether I think that there's even like elements of earlier Tim Burton involved in like the way that there's comedy visually yes. but not necessarily in the dialogue like the the the, the maids the caretakers of the Jedi the nuns, Island yeah, great yeah. stuff the nuns I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't even know if I agree with it, but I kind of want to say Adam Driver. Well, it's not even a question for me, and here's why. And Sean wrote about this on The Ringer on Friday, and it's it's a really good piece. You guys should read it. But the movie rests 
it, it's made or broken by driver. Mm-hmm. It's if that performance doesn't, and it, it's very key that they haven't lose the mask in the beginning. So you have to look at him the entire movie. Yeah, and he's not playing dress. He up doesn't connect on this three pointer. The movie really falls apart because he has to be evil, killed his dad, susceptible to being turned, but when it doesn't work, is just as fearsome as ever, and then has to be so in the red that you're like, this guy's going to kill Luke Skywalker. This is fucking intense. He also has to do a lot of his best, most emotional work on the space phone. Well, yeah, and when he does do that, he's in this very chill indie movie when yeah. he's making when he's he, doing those scenes with he, daisy ridley so it's a huge he takes this part as seriously yes. as anyone donald gleason is hamming it up but driver is like on dd daniel day lewis planet he's like i'm in this moment he, i'm he, pissed at you. his emotion his just raging yeah. boiling uncontrollable emotion is the force basically in this trilogy and it is what powers it and what makes it feel vibrant and alive and and risky in yeah. a way in and surprising because we have not seen that character before in these movies that where he is flipping this way and that in his loyalties but really he maintains some level of consistency mm-hmm. emotionally in terms of his performance um i yeah i i, I completely agree with that even though you know, there are, of course, people that I, quote unquote, enjoyed more sure. uh, in the movie. The other thing that's occurred to me, and I'm sure this has occurred to Reddit slash Star Wars slash uh, <laughs> fanboy, whatever. Lucasfilm and everyone involved have said that these trilogies, the, the three trilogies, yes, um, are the Skywalker story. Yes. And Ryan Johnson is now going off to create a new one, which is exciting. Assume, I guess, starring Gimlet-Eyed Stable Boys. Homie with the broom, yeah. Um, but... But we don't know that, yeah. But but the Skywalker story, it took me a minute to realize that the reveal of Ray's parentage or lack of famous parentage means that this is the Ben Solo story. Mm-hmm. It also made me realize that this is this was the matriarchal trilogy and Leia's role in this, it's just, it's doubly painful now that Carrie Fisher is gone because you realize this, you realize that, you know, midway through this movie, that she's the original cast member who was meant to carry this whole series and was meant to have an enormous role in the third movie for this very reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could talk about the Fisher stuff now if you want. So I am, I was as moved as I've been in like a blockbuster Mm -hmm. at her death, which does not actually occur. Right. So she floats off into space. She's, she's, she's sort of freezing over. A shocking moment early in the film. Angelic kind of like she's moving off into the light moment. And then apparently... Jedi's can resurrect themselves and fly through space. Cool. But then when they cool do choice. that, they need to be put in an ICU. Yeah. So I I don't know anything. We don't, I don't really I haven't read anything about this, but my guess is that they had shot all of the stuff at the ice base later in the movie that they had shot a goodbye with Mark Hamill, all this stuff like the movie was done and that that is a symbolic goodbye to Carrie Fisher as the the star, but I don't really know what is going on I, there. I, I don't think so. I think, again, with no prior knowledge, yeah. um, it struck me as a moment that was quite beautiful and cool that r- feels a lot different knowing what happened. I think that yeah. it, it just feels, it was an effective and beautiful moment and a great way to keep the audience on our toes because we, we knew going into these, this trilogy that original characters might not survive it. But knowing that she passed away, there's a ghoulish cast to watching this movie because we wouldn't be surprised if the movie killed her suddenly, killed the character suddenly. So we're thinking that we're believing this moment in this moment more than we might have had we had she, you know, if only if she had survived. Sure. So it's 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 distressing in the moment. But I I loved her performance in the movie. Yeah, she's quite good in this movie. I love what they I love the way uh, they used her, the character, her abilities. Um. She looks beautiful and elegant, and there's a wryness to her. You know, mm-hmm. there's always Just there. Just like this, always there, yeah. And, and similarly, um, if you want to go cast to cast, like, I, I was really surprised by Mark Hamill's performance. I have not been, I've not had eyes on Hamill for the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. I know that people love his voice work. Like, he did the Joker on the Batman animated series, and he seems like a really fun, to get together, present, balanced guy on mm-hmm. Twitter with a sense of humor about himself and his career. And he's beloved for it, you know, which is funny because he was not beloved coming out of the original trilogy. Um, everyone loved Han Solo and mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and thought Luke could be a little whiny at times before he became all-powerful. 
I love the performance. And again, I don't know how much of it is you put the players in the best position to succeed. So how much of that is coaching? But it sounds like he was pretty resistant or at least unsure of Ryan Johnson's vision for this character. And when he initially got the script, this idea that he had sort of been a really public forward facing steward of a lot of Star Wars. You know, he had been the one who was present, the one who was answering fans questions, the one who was reading the the extended universe canon. And to have that kind of like to give all that over to Ryan Johnson, who's like, you're going to be a grumpy old man who doesn't want to teach Jedi Mm -hmm. until the very end. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, we can. I, I have a question about Luke Skywalker that I want to save to a little for a little bit later. But I want to ask you something else yeah. here. Um, in terms of Boyega and in terms of Finn, yeah, this is the one that I feel like they've written themselves into a corner on a little bit. And it was interesting because when we saw The Force Awakens, that was corresponding with I think when like Inside Lewin Davis was coming out mm-hmm. and Oscar Isaac was like the the jam back then. And he doesn't get a lot to do in the force awakens. He, so he was supposed to be killed. I think so. It's right. He, he was, he, Poe Dameron was supposed to die. And then they looked at some of the dailies and they were like, we have this fun, vibrant movie star. Yes. And they have sort of turned Han Solo duties over to him in this movie. Correct. And I, I just, because they are friends in the movie and they are always looking out for each other in the movie. I feel like I group the him. I, I pair him and and Boyega together. They the yeah. Poe and Finn characters. I don't really know what they're doing with Finn. I, uh, I, I've got some guesses. Okay. First of all, I love John Boyega as a performer. Sure. He is he he's so exuberant in everything he does. He's just fun to be with. One way to look at it is that he's the girlfriend character. He if you consider Ray as the you know in previous decades that would have been the male's hero journey mm-hmm. the girlfriend finds other things to do while waiting for the man to come back so to some degree that's the role that he's filling but i think it does him a disservice because I, I agree they might not know what to do with him but i enjoy what he's doing um i, I love I the, ex- like the I, I really, breaker plot was like the most jj abrams part of this well we movie. should talk about that yeah. I, I the accidental love triangle i liked i think that the character of rose was wonderful yeah i loved her name Kelly Marie, Kelly Marie Tran Kelly Marie Tran is so delightful and exciting in this movie and this is one of those pieces of casting that is just happiness all around uh-huh. because it's okay to say I think she herself has probably said in interviews that I haven't read or seen yet that she, that she is not the stereotypical person to get these parts in Star Wars movies in the past in mm-hmm. franchise movies but she's so perfect for it, and she's so great, and she brings such heart and humor to it. She's great with Boyega. So all of that is to say it buys them a lot of goodwill So, in that whole casino thing, which doesn't really make sense and doesn't pay she's off. She's a real audience avatar. I think she like expresses a lot of the values that I think people try to take from Star mm-hmm. Wars. Um I just felt like ultimately, and we could talk about this if you want now, but like that felt like it was basically the entire mission – we neither learned anything about people. I mean, I guess that brings those two people closer together and they have, the, and it expands it, the world. You get to see that there's this whole other place it, it adds, in the Star Wars universe where people are like, this shit between the rebels and the Empire has nothing to do with me. And it's actually just two sides of the same coin. It adds some serious it does. Um, 99% or politics to the it world. It does. And it had like the animal before. cruelty stuff, which is comes up a few times in this movie. But ultimately, it's a 35 minutes of screen time that when they get back to the spaceship, they're like, that hasn't really, it doesn't really matter. It's a great point when you say it's the most J.J. Abrams part of it, because it's, not it's only Kirk is it... going to the the planet, and like ice planet yes. in the first Star Trek and fighting that weird, like, it, that weird monster, and it was like, okay, cool. And what we got from that was more, as you said, thematic. It was character building. In a lot of ways, it wasn't just J.J. Abrams because it was a MacGuffin. It was J.J. Abrams, a la The Force Awakens, where we're getting vibes from this we're getting character sure. work and we're getting good times so we're not necessarily getting it all, all all of the pieces that make a good story at once by the way interesting and strong choices made by the god benicio in this movie the the, the stutter just yeah. having a stutter okay yeah um one thing i liked about that performance which you know something had to get cut and so he doesn't have that much to do in this movie once he shows up but i like the way that ryan johnson is world building through backdoors mm-hmm I like that, and and there's some Lando comparisons to be made in terms of betrayal in the second movie. There's also like redeemed, that, that's Han Solo without the good lines. Like he's basically a smuggler. Yeah, he's, a, and, he's like I work for whoever pays me the most. And then he goes away. Yeah, but we're gonna see him again. And I I like that kind of world building that isn't so overt. I like that world building more than the doe eyed boy with the broom. Right. Frankly. And I think neither so neither of us loved 
the stuff with the casino. Shout out to Justin Theroux, though. Um, but oh yeah, that's who that was. Yeah, man. In the moment, I yeah yeah that's right. Uh, but let's talk about some of our favorite moments in the movie uh, because I think that the highs of this of this film yeah. are as high as it gets, and that's really strong praise for somebody born yeah. in 1977 to say this. Yes. But uh, the opening battle with the bombing, uh, the psychic scenes between Ray and Kylo. The throat. By the way, think about that, that those were good. Yeah. Think how bad that's, those could have been. That's nuts. Yeah. That's they, nuts. Also, we haven't mentioned Daisy Ridley, who is exceptional. Well, and here's the thing. I rewatched Empire recently. Yeah. Daisy Ridley has the, the Luke role. She has to be by herself yes. with a, not inanimate, but, you know, a very stubborn, like, yeah. teacher figure who we're all watching him because we haven't seen him in yep. a long time. And she's isolated from the rest of the cast. Her mission is unclear, and she's compromised. She she might turn. She's interested in this dark side. And so she's got a real one-woman show going in a lot of ways, and she's kept out of a lot of the interaction that people really thrive off in these movies, and she does a great job with it. The, the casting is—we cannot praise this enough because she is—it's so rare that to get all of this right because she is— the way she looks is iconic. She looks like a film star from the 30s or something, just, mm-hmm. just the way her face looks on camera and fills the frame. But she's tough, and she's charismatic. And it's hard to do those things, especially, as you're saying, in a relatively secondary role yeah. when she doesn't know, and maybe the audience still doesn't quite know who she is, but we still like her. Yeah. There were two moments we saw this movie, when we saw this movie, where the audience left let out like audible gasps. Yeah. And it was the slow-mo in the throne room in the in in Snoke's red yep. room and it was Laura Dern's silent suicide mission and those are two mo- shots and that I'm just going to remember for years and a lot I would say a lot of the problem with all, some of these franchise movies in, in some of these long running uh you know not superhero, but like, you know, these cosmic mm-hmm. movies, whatever, the Marvel movies or what have you, is that it's all about the the big picture mm-hmm. and it's never the smaller moments. It's all about like, mm-hmm. where are we going towards Infinity War? Mm-hmm. Where are we going towards this? I, if you ask me to tell you every little bit of the plot of The Last Jedi, it would be hard for me. Mm-hmm. But I will be describing mm-hmm. the soundless explosion yeah. in space for, for a and, long and, time. And I feel satisfied by it. Oh, them. yeah. Yeah. And and, I, and the, the visualization, the idea of having these red samurai yeah, security me, guards with Snoke is like, that's what these movies and this movie had that other movies don't. Let me completely agree with you. Let me also hop on my Tauntaun and just go for a ride for a second sure, on man. this. One of the great tragedies of our generation, and all caveats for being hyperbolic here, but just go with me here. One of the great shared tragedies of my generation, pop culture division, was waiting 15 years, 16 years for Phantom Menace, released on my birthday, by the way, very disappointing, (laughs) to see Jedis. We all grew up playing with our action figures. We played lightsabers. We, we want, that's what we wanted to be when we were in kindergarten and five and six, seven years old, Mm -hmm. generationally. We wanted to see them at their best because we only saw them when they were gone in those movies. Mm -hmm. In the opening moments of Phantom Menace, we were like, we're going to get this. And then we find out that they're tax collectors. And I don't know if our generation's relationship to blockbusters has ever been the same. Yeah. And in this movie, in this scene, Ryan Johnson proves, he's our generation too, that he understands something. They're supposed to be knights. That scene is visually stunning. But it's also shot at, and I don't know camera terminology, but it's shot at like medium frame, medium range. So we see their figures in the landscape and we see them perform this beautiful ballet of fighting with the consideration, aesthetic consideration of the color and the palette and the sound and the relationship between the characters. It's one of the most moving fight scenes that I've seen oh, yeah. in recent memory because it understood all of it. And to go back to my original point about Brian Johnson's triumph here, he also ticks the corporate box because he found a way to make it bloodless. The scene is red for a reason. Sure. But this movie has to be PG-13, so we can't actually see people die, so we don't see their faces. It's just astounding. Yeah, and then I guess we have to talk about the, for the most part, like for the, the denouement, the, the Luke versus everything moment. I have one more in between that you didn't mention. Sure. It's a favorite moment. I can't believe I'm saying this. When Yoda appeared, I was like, oh, come on now. And then you were like, oh, yeah. I was 
it got dusty. Not because I saw Yoda again, but because it, the movie was so well written that I was emotionally completely drawn in to this idea of what ch- parents can give to their children. Well, it's also that was the most profound sort of like wipe the slate, man. Yeah. Because Yoda was like, what's in those books? What, like, what have you read those? It's like, you know, like, are you, did you actually read the Bible or, or are you just protecting this old because fusty idea of what we're supposed to be? It, it is such a radical idea to put into a movie aimed at fanboys. Yeah. And guess what? Like, there's a lot of people on Star Wars Reddit that are like, what the fuck was this movie? This is That's repudiating a lot of what I thought. It, it, as a as a parent, I found that really beautiful and very pure, and it gave me an emotional way into a movie that anyone who listened to the preview heard me say. Like, I, the most I was hoping for was a good flick. Mm-hmm. I did not expect to be engaged by sixty six year old Mark Hamill talking to a puppet. Yeah, but it got me. What did you think about? So let me let me just ask you: Do you think that Luke is dead the entire movie? Is that a theory? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Okay. That what is the argument for that being? No one else sees him, and that he's just a yeah. No one else there? sees him. That his way into the I mean I, that his way into the base is he's obviously projecting himself from yes. the 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 sort of Jedi island. Let me tell you why I don't think so. Right. Because one of the things that it's easy to forget again the movie was very long is the hilarious Luke goes about his business montage, including him spearfishing oh, yeah. from that's, a cliff's wall. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a waste of your psychic energy if you are just <laughs> space dust. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if Carrie Fisher can fly through space, I don't know why Luke can't just like make all the fish rise out of the sea and then like dry freeze them or something. It, look, this movie all, it begins to suggest that the Force is a superpower, yeah. which it didn't before. Right. The idea that the kid is just going to use the broom like he's Magneto and just have it come to him. No, the Force was something you really had to learn in the earlier movies. Yeah, and the way it was applied and used was always... A, maybe fanboys might argue with me on this. I, I felt that it was a little ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. But here it does seem to be like an ability that some people have to use in cool ways, which, okay, fine. Let's let's keep it moving. Let's do something new. I, You know, I, I, I personally liked the um, heretical aspect of the movie mm-hmm. where where it takes it from being this this holy religion much like a lot of fans treat the holy star wars texts and said no it's just something that goes on between us and it can be it can change yeah well let's let's talk about i, I don't want to belabor this cuz obviously Andy and I are are pretty pro this movie uh, but let's talk about some of the flaws just because i think it's sort of amusing okay. to talk about yeah was this movie too long it's a tough one i think th- ask it, me when i see it again yeah, here's another. Here, let me answer it this way. I want to see it again. Mm-hmm. I never say that. Yeah, I enjoyed the whole thing. It didn't drag, and then the moment when it was ready to drag, when I thought the movie had ended, is the 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 uh, the battle on the salt plains, and that's a pretty cool place to go. You know, it for as much as it is long, the movie is essentially is one pursuit. Mm-hmm. They, it begins with them chasing them, and it ends with their final confrontation before one side wins or loses. It goes in one direction, which sets it apart from a lot of other blockbuster films. This was an issue that I had more with Rogue One than this one, but did you think this was overplotted? And uh, I guess that kind of speaks to the the Boyega, the Finn mission. Um, some of the, we're almost there, oh no, and, and kind of, I, whether or not like it was too cute in some places or it had too much story in some places. I think that this movie was... And I, I think uh, Bauman was talking about this today on on Slack, but it was like way easier to follow yes. than Force Awakens I, or Rogue One. Yes, I Rogue think, One is like half the time I'm like, what planet are we on? But guys, think, guys, I'm talking to our audience now. Think about um, think about what room written movies feel like. Think about Avengers: Age of Ultron, which was theoretically written by Joss Whedon, but was tinkered with and noted to death. What is the direction of that movie? I have no idea why or where they're going half the time, but you go with it because you're in a movie theater, and that's one of the advantages they have. They can drag you along with them. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the beginning of that movie, you're not thinking, well, this is going to end up with an entire Eastern European city being lifted off the ground. Sure. Sorry for spoilers. You watch this movie, every part about it seems actually kind of elemental and simple. It was just, we're running away from the bad guys, and Ray needs to learn how to be a Jedi, and the bad guys are going to catch up to us, and then what will happen? Yeah. That's it. Did you find that the at the end of this with like the last escape to the base 
that in general these Star Wars movies are starting to get a little repetitive with Empire Falls, Returns, Rebels Have a Mission Impossible, They Barely Escape, Rinse, Repeat. Do you feel like we've now moved on past that so that we can kind of move into a different story type? I hope so. I mean, this movie begins with a, you know, like as you said, there's a beautiful bombing run, mm-hmm. that whole sequence. But it did come down to a character having to push a button on a blocky piece of outdated tech. Yeah, it was Armageddon, I mean, yeah. It, it, and it was Rogue One. You know, it, it, there there are beats that are just always going to be part of this. But look, you know, the first one, the first one of this trilogy, had the Death Star again. Yeah. It literally just had the Death Star again. Right. This one didn't. We may just have to live with the fact that that's going to be the case. But there are other things that he took advantage of that are familiar. Think about the way this movie, even before the Laura Dern uh, suicide run, the way this movie and Force Awakens did this too just shows light speed. Mm-hmm. Those giant, just the sense of scale, those giant ships just zapping into our screen. Also, that great shot of Carrie Fisher drinking tea as like the stars fly by her. It, it's it's beautiful mm-hmm. and familiar and purely Star Wars. Here's something that I'm just gonna pull your card a little bit. Yeah, I can't remember at what point of the movie you turned to me mm-hmm. and you were like, "They're gonna make a third one of these," it, because. Yeah. And here's my question. Did this movie use up too much story? Yeah. I, there were definitely was, again, I, I, we have no insight into this. Um, but it did feel like Ryan Johnson, on some level, certainly not a conscious level, certainly not a spoken in meetings at Bad Robot level, was just like, look what you left me with. You know what? Fuck it. And did what he wanted to do. Maybe, you know, because I think he felt rightly that this was his swing at this, and they let him do it with the choices he was making. Now, obviously, everyone involved had to okay the big choices. But... Eliminating Snoke, I think, was thrilling and and made me feel very hopeful about the movies in general for that reason because I was anti Snoke. Phasma, for the same reason, I'm like, I, there's no reason for her to be here. It's just cool to have Gwendolyn Christie dressed like a stormtrooper. Sure. I don't see the reason. Um, the thing that made me feel better about it, I, I turned to you when she died. I think okay, I was like, are they just going to eliminate all the villains? What, why are we doing another one? Right. That was before the Kylo Ren ascension to a new type of Star Wars villain emerged. Right, and then. That coupled with the idea that this is the Skywalker story suggests that the third movie could be also quite different. Yeah, and I think that the third movie actually does have a lot to talk about now because one of the differences between the dark and the light seems to be this belief in the possibility of of a human's capacity for redemption, Mm -hmm. for change. Ray seems especially fixated on this idea that Luke just assumed Ben was going to go bad. And even mm-hmm. though it was only a moment, yeah. you know, or or whatever, however it was perceived, that that was somehow a betrayal of the sort of fundamental principles of what they were supposed to be about as Jedis. And I think that that will be sort of a central tension in the next movie because you've got Kylo who is a, embracing, even maybe transcending the dark side into just being a powerful being and Rey who's still learning, but is sort of, I think, still believes probably deep down that there's a bit of Ben left in Kylo. Yeah. Um, let's get through some questions. And I really actually only have one for this third for the, for this going forward. Um, what do you think now? We've wiped the slate. We've mm-hmm. killed the past. Mm-hmm. Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Is a Boba Fett movie happening again? It's rumored. But... That, that's what we thought the Josh Trank movie was going to be? Is yeah, right? and I think that there was just some some stuff in in the press about that. How do you feel about, you still want to live in the past? It's a great question. And it's a question that I I think, it was a shot across the bow of Lucasfilm Mm -hmm. that Ryan Johnson fired in this movie. And I guess the more important answer to it is they gave Ryan Johnson the keys. They admitted that the future of the franchise post Skywalker, what's a nontology, a a nine movie series, is unwritten and needs to be written. And they've given it to, in my opinion, the best possible person to do it so the Han Solo movie will be hopefully an entertaining trifle honestly like it could be a, a fun ride with mm-hmm. a good cast but the, the 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 highs of this movie as you said at the very beginning su- knocked me off my feet it really surprised me yeah I did not expect to be moved I did not expect to be um exhilarated and like tra- feel this like sort of transcendent levitation that you feel when you see something beautiful and transporting on the screen um it the fact that they they allowed him to do it and they're continuing. I, I'm just choosing to be positive Look, because the movie I, left me with a positive I will see feeling. Han Solo opening but, night. I will see Boba Fett if they give it to me. I will see if they give you the like, movie to write and direct. Cloud, no, just I'm just saying like, and I will I will gladly watch 
clouds Bespin knights if yeah. they want to do something with that. But I think that the the for as much as I liked parts of Rogue One, the best part of Rogue One was the beginning of Star Wars. Yep. The, for much as I liked the Force Awakens, the best part of Force Awakens is Han Solo saying it's true all of it. For as there, much it's as all all nods to the past. Yep. Everything that happens in the Last Jedi. <laughs> is stuff that's happening in the present or in the future. It's stuff that's like, what could we do with these people going forward? And I think that makes that probably, and I, again, I haven't looked at Reddit, but that might make super fans nervous. In well, the same way, you know, uncertainty the, is nervous. The whole purpose of comic books for many years and the purpose of now that we treat movies like comic books is to comfort yeah. more than they challenge. Yeah. And I'm look, The Last Jedi is is not a Werner Herzog film. It is, it is a big budget blockbuster that's going to please every quadrant around the world. Yeah. But it pushes. And it pushes in ways that feel strange and that also are kind of exciting. For me, when you talk about is the future of the Star Wars franchise really going to be an untold future or is it the past, the question isn't in relation to the Han Solo movie. It's a J.J. Abrams because he's coming back. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of much of his work, but I'm slightly deflated at the thought of him coming back to this trilogy unless – this movie affected him the way it kicks him in the pants. It affected us and said, "Oh no, we have to push forward yeah. because otherwise, it, 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 there's a sense, an unformed sense, that bringing him back is yoking this uh, trilogy out of out of space and back down onto more uh, terra firma, known terra cognito. Let's yeah. call it known known a known place. I'm sure we're not done talking about Star Wars. We got a couple episodes to go through the end of the year, but um, it was definitely really cool to have. Even today in the in the offices, a bunch of people saw it last night. A bunch of people have seen it this week. It it has that feeling of the thing we're going to be talking about for a while. So I'm really excited to keep talking about it with you going forward. Do you think Chewbacca ate the porg? Too late. Really doesn't matter, does it? I mean, it was dead. Yeah, and that's my point. I'm like, maybe they were friends because he somehow reasoned with him, the other porg and was just like, "Look, like you want your friend to die for nothing? I'm hungry." Yeah, seriously. Also, like literally, Ray is ignoring me. <laughs> she's she 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 she's doing yoga on yeah. the beach, and I'm eating birds. All right, uh, we will be back on Thursday. Until then, may the force be with you. Definitely, Bransky's. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Zelle. Cash is easy to lose and checks take a while to clear. Thankfully, there is Zelle, a new way to send money to your friends and family from your banking app. Once you've enrolled, the money moves right between almost any U.S. bank accounts and typically arrives in minutes. Plus, it's backed by major banks, which means you can send money confidently. Just go to ZellePay.com to learn more. That's Z-E-L-L-E-P-A-Y.com. Zelle. This is how money moves.